Welcome everybody to the Nathan Solomon Show, hosted by yours truly. I hope everybody's having a great Wednesday. We are almost all the way through the fall semester here at St. Bonaventure. Only one more show, one more live show remains for me, and that'll obviously be next Wednesday, 7 o'clock, just like always. But this week, this week we've got a lot to talk about as per usual. We're going to break down three uh, NFL games this weekend, so the, the Jets, Patriots, Giants, and the Washington football team, as well as the Bills and Seahawks. We're going to get into some Yankees and Mets stuff. We're going to do some Yankees offseason housekeeping, talk about Steve Cohen and his introduction to the Mets, um, some NBA, stu- NBA draft stuff to talk about with some, you know, like I said, the draft and some offseason dates. Because it's going to be a very quick offseason. In less than a month from now, we're going to be in preseason action in the National Basketball Association. We're going to do a quick preview of the Masters. Round 1 tees off tomorrow morning. And last but not least, we're going to talk about the NASCAR Championship and Chase Elliott's victory in Phoenix. So without further ado, let's just get right into everything. And the first game that we are going to break down of the evening will be the Jets-Patriots game. And, man, I thought, I, I, I thought the Jets had one. They played, they played really well. For, uh, overall, we'll just say that they, they played well. Um, their defense at times did struggle a little bit, but, but their offense looked really good. Joe Flacco had a really good game. Um, but, but before we get into the stats and everything, let's just kind of talk about what led to the outcome. So the Jets lose 30-27 thanks to a last-second kick from former Jets kicker Nick Folk. And so basically, the, the Jets, they, um, they went up 20-10 at the end of the first half. Jameson Crowder caught, um, caught a touchdown with like 25 seconds left, and the, the Jets went into the locker with a 10-point lead. So the Patriots, they had these these very long, drawn-out possessions. They weren't bombing down the field. Just quick passes, short runs, all of that. So th- they started with the ball in the third quarter, and you know they held you know they held the ball for for virtually the the first half of the third quarter. So um, with like seven thir- like halfway through, Rex Burkhead ran one in, uh, cut the Jets' lead to three twenty seventeen. But then, and then the Jets, they went down the field, and they had the kind of their long, drawn-out long, long drawn out drive, and it led to a touchdown from from Joe Flacco, his third of the game. And obviously, you know, I said Joe Flacco, Sam Darnold, he, his shoulder was acting up again. He didn't play. He, he, he's listed as day-to-day right now. Jets have a bye week this weekend, so it's, it, it's highly expected that, um, that Darnold will play um, in, in Week 11. But with 30 seconds left in the third quarter, Jets score Rashad Perriman, 15-yard reception from Flacco to make it 27-17 Jets, all right? And then again, a very long drive by New England in the, in the, to start out the fourth quarter. And they didn't score. This is all one possession. They didn't score until six minutes left in the game after uh, a Jets touchdown with 30 seconds left in the third quarter. And it wasn't even a touchdown. It was a field goal. They got a... Um, if, if I'm recalling this correctly, they got into the red zone. Jets pushed them back a little bit. 
they had like a first or like a second and goal from the twenty, and like it just ended up in a, in a short field goal that that folk hit twenty nine yards. Um, Jets get it right back, or they get it back in first play. Flacco throws a pick. His one mistake of the night. First play, he 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 goes for it because he was taking shots down the field throughout the entire game, and before it was working, he tried to take it um take a shot down the field, either get obviously get. Uh, a long reception, get a PI, something like that, and it got picked off. So then again, another long drawn out play by the Patriots. It led to a touchdown from Cam Newton uh, with just up, just past the two minute warning to tie it up. Jets get it back, three and out, gives New England an opportunity. All right, and you know when when New England had the ball there in this final possession here um, with less than two minutes left, I was kind of confused what they were doing. They were doing short runs, short passes, and it kind of didn't really seem to make sense. And with like nine seconds left, they were, New England was on the I want to say they're on their own forty, I think, or their own thirty or something. And and Newton has, uh, you know, he he throws the ball and he got like he got like twenty yards out of it. And, and they got right into Jets territory. Boom! Take their last time out. They're set up for the field goal, and Folk hits it. You know, New England. Took, you know, they took their time out. Um, Gase didn't call a timeout himself to, to ice the kicker, but Folk made it, and it was a game. Jets lose. But yes, as I was saying, Joe Flacco. He was really good. Besides the pick, he, you know, he gave the Jets their best quarterback performance of the year by far. Eighteen of twenty-five. Um. 262 yards, uh, three touchdowns, one pick, only sacked once, and uh, 128.7 QB rating. So, really good game from him. Three touchdowns is great. Uh, Flacco, obviously, you know, New England controlled the possession of the game. They had those long, drawn-out drives, like I keep saying. Flacco had nearly 200 yards at halftime. So, so he really only had one full possession in the second half to hold on to the ball, and that resulted in a touchdown. And then, you know, after the touchdown, he only had four more plays all game, and that was a pick and then a three and out. And that was that, that three and out is obviously a very costly time for a three and out. You can't have a three and out there at that, at that time of the game. Um, in terms of receivers, though, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from this young receiving core. Brashad Perriman, over 100 yards, two touchdowns. Um, he he's looked really good. He's played with Flacco before in, in Baltimore. They seem to mesh really well, so that's a good thing. And I think Perriman could obviously has a lot of potential in New York. Denzel Mims, uh, four receptions for sixty-two yards. I like that too. You know, he's he's consistently getting fifty, sixty yards a game, uh, four or five receptions a game. So he's instantly in that Jets offense um, ever since he's came back over the past few weeks. He's getting snaps and he's getting the. The repetitions that he needs. Um, Crowder was, you know, he's, he scored a touchdown, but he's um, otherwise a non-factor. Only two receptions. Um, Perrine had a pair of receptions. Griffin had a pair of receptions. But obviously, these are all young guys that have a lot of potential. And right now, it's just a matter of getting them snaps, getting you know passes thrown to them, and just getting adjusted to the NFL level. Because because most of these guys have have no, with the exception of Perriman. In, in Crowder, I mean, none of these receivers really have any experience, any good experience. The ground game, though, the ground game kind of, it, it still lacks a little bit, and, you know, it's been years since the Jets have, have, have drafted a top running back, and I think it's time for them to start considering that, because, 
right now what they have is not working. Frank Gore is a veteran. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's not the Frank Gore of, you know, six years ago. You know, 12 carries, 46 yards, that's okay. But that that's, that's not what they need to win games. They need somebody that can give them 70, 80 yards a game on the ground. Well, Michael Perrine, a late-round draft pick, you know, six carries, 19 yards. It, it's something, but it's not a good, you know, yards per rush rate at all. So, you know, I, I'm thinking that the, the Jets need to, if they're going to have two picks this draft, or in the first round here, which they are, if they can get, I said this last show, they can get Trevor Lawrence, and if they can get, a high-level running back towards the end of the first round, like Travis Etienne, which is his, um, Lawrence is running back at Clemson. They mesh really well in the NCAA. No reason why they can't mesh really well in the, in the NFL. Drafting those two is it would be a lethal combination, and that offense instantly gets better. And the Jets showing interest in um, in, in the in the in the running back, it's it's it it almost provides an incentive in a way. For, for Lawrence to stay to, to go to the draft if he knows the Jets might draft ETNA. Um, so but but the Jets they they had trouble getting stops throughout the game. Cam Newton had a phenomenal game, twenty seven of thirty five, uh, two hundred and seventy four yards. Uh, did not pass for a touchdown. Uh, a ninety nine QB rating. So overall, a solid game from him. Kind of bouncing back from some of those games earlier in the year where he really struggled. But, you know, Newton, um, almost half of his passes went to Jacoby Myers. 12 of his 27 passes went to Jacoby Myers. And Myers had a massive game, 169 yards. Again, didn't score. But, I mean, for, for a young guy like Myers, that that's a big game for him. And... You know, the Patriots, they've had wide receiver issues throughout the year. And I'm drafted a guy like him that could that, that could be big for them in the long run as well. So New England also has that very young receiving core. So on defense though, I'm like I'm for the most part, I'm liking what I'm seeing on defense. Obviously, you're giving up too too many points, but when you when you delve into, you know, the tackles and whatnot, the two guys that that led the team in, in tackling, uh, Harvey Lange and and Bless Austin. Those two guys, they're they're an, they're a sixth rounder and an, and an undrafted guy. Austin being the sixth rounder, and Lange is is undrafted. And 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 those two guys are are leading led the team in tackling last night. So that's also a good thing for their defense for for the young guys. So. That's obviously the, the, one of the positives about a season like this is the young guys are getting, like I said, they're getting the reps, they're getting the experience, they're getting better. And if you can can add some more pieces in, some more high-level picks with some trades, in two, three years with a new coach, you have a, a, a competitive team. So right now, I'm overall, I'm liking what Joe Douglas is doing. We just, Jets fans just need to be patient right now because it's going to take a few years. I don't think Adam Gase is the answer. I say this every week, and he's still the head coach. I don't think he's the answer. Once he gets out, once the Jets get some more draft picks, get a top-end receiver, get some defensive pieces, they're going to be 
like they're so close yet so far from being a good team. If you know what I mean. Like obviously they're they're lacking a ton of pieces to be a good team right now. But in terms of time, they could be competitive in two years easily. Competitive in two years. So we'll we'll just see what happens. I, I have my faith in Joe Douglas for right now. He's done a good job for the most part. And you just gotta hope for the best if you're a Jets fan. So we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we are gonna break down the last two or the other two NFL games of the week. You're listening to WSBU, the Buzz, St. Bonaventure, top of the Riley Center. We'll be right back with you. of motivated, passionate, and determined journalists to anchor our staff. If you're interested, DM us at WSBU News. Bana News Now, your campus, your news. So, as we were talking about, the Jets obviously lost a heartbreaker. Um... But right, but let, let's get into one of the, the more positive stories in New, in New York football for the week. And that's the fact that the Giants, they were able to, they, they finally picked up a win. They're 2-7 now. They beat the Washington football team again. And they're still somehow in the divisional race, certainly game and a half back, which is sad to say, since we're going into week 10. But they got the win. It's... Wasn't pretty, but they got the win. Daniel Jones, he was okay. Could have been better. Uh, 23 of 34, uh, 212 yards, a touchdown, and a 94-2 QB rating. Five sacks, so that is kind of concerning. Obviously, that's not all on him. A lot of that does go on the line. The line is brutal, as we all know. They've had a couple of okay games this year, but overall, the line is not... like. The line is just non-existent. Um, the run block has been better. Uh, Wayne Gallman, 14 carries for 68 yards. Alfred Morris, 9 carries for 67 yards. Gallman also added a touchdown in there. So that's an encouraging sign. 166 total rushing yards as um, you know, five other guys, including Jones, contributed for some yards. But... They need to block better. They they can't allow your quarterback to to get sacked five times. So that's something that they obviously need to be to be improving upon. Austin Mack, he's he's proving himself. Uh, he is uh he's an undrafted free agent. Was on the practice squad. He he led the team in receiving yards. Four receptions for seventy two yards, including a fifty yard reception. Evan Ingram added 48 yards, Shepard 39 yards, Deion Lewis 16 yards. So, again, a, a, a pretty well-balanced receiving core, I guess, for the game, you could, you could call it. Um, Blake Martinez, he had a good game again, you know, 10, ten tackles. Logan Ryan added six, Jabril Peppers added six. So, again, they have a pretty good defense. They're just not getting all the offensive production that they need. I mean, if allowing just 20 points, that's not bad. 
you should hope to get a little bit more out of your offense, but that's not bad. Blake Martinez, that signing makes makes him so much better. And without him, I'm not sure that the Giants have any wins right now. On the Washington side of things, they had an interesting little situation with their quarterback, Kyle Allen, their starting quarterback, got hurt early on, had a had a Dak Prescott-esque injury where it's it just it wasn't pretty like you know the the leg went one way and like the foot went the other like one of those not not pretty to watch so he's out he's hurt he's out for the season Alex Smith came in he played reasonably well 24 of 32 325 yards and a touchdown that sounds good but the the, the snag here is he threw three picks. And two of the three picks were down the stretch when Washington was, was trying to win the game. Their, their last two possessions ended in picks. So, and, and, and they were in, you know, relatively good enough position to, to potentially, potentially uh, threaten the end zone, I guess, is one way to put it. So... I'm going to be interested to see how the quarterback situation will play out in Washington over the next or the, over the rest of the season. Really, will they continue to go to Alex Smith? Will they go back to Dwayne Haskins? That'll be interesting to find out. Smith, like you know, again has been decent with yards and everything. He just can't throw those picks. Haskins has struggled, but th- I mean that that's what's going to happen when a young quarterback. You're going to have your ups and your downs, but. If it wasn't for how bad the, the, the NFC East is right now, uh, Haskins would be the starter, you know, 100%. Because in every other conference, Washington's out of it by now. But it isn't any other division. It's the NFC East, and wild things happen in the NFC East where uh, a two and seven or two two and teams are potentially contending for the spot when you're more than halfway through the season. So, if if Washington get, gets into a position where they're they're really falling out of contention, then they're gonna go to Haskins and they're gonna give him those reps because I believe that they still believe he's the quarterback of the future and he's not gonna get any better just sitting on the bench. So that's all from the Giants and and Washington football team game for for this week. You know, nothing, not not an incredibly exciting game, except for the injury. Not a really pretty game either. But we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to break down the Bills and the Seahawks, and the Bills' major win to advance to 7-2. We'll be right back here on WSBU The Buzz, St. Bonaventure.
So, as we all know, the Bills, they picked up a major win this week over the Seahawks at home in Buffalo, advancing to 7-2 with their 44-34 victory over the Seahawks in a slugfest. Josh Allen, massive, massive game for him. 31 of 38, 415 yards, three touchdowns, um... And a 138.5 QB rating puts him for AFC Player of the Week, which is, again, to no surprise because he was phenomenal. Um, on the receiving end of things, Stefan Diggs, John Brown, also massive games. Neither scored, but Diggs, nine receptions for 118 yards. Brown, eight receptions from 99 yards. Big shout-out to John Brown. Won me fantasy this week. Appreciate you. Um, Gabriel Davis also, you know, ha- had some, some solid contributions. Four receptions, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Ian McKenzie, Tyler Croft, they, Isaiah McKenzie, excuse me, they, they each added a touchdown and, and only one reception. But a great offensive game for, for the Bills. And they, um... But, I mean, you know, great offensive game, but they were lacking a little bit on the rushing end of things. Only 34 total rushing yards, and 14 of those were Josh Allen. Zach Moss, 9 carries for 18 yards. Devin Singletary, just 2 carries throughout the entire game. That's a surprise. I know I said last game, or last episode, last show, give Zach Moss the ball more. And... He absolutely should get it more. But I don't think Singletary should virtually be erased. I mean, I get it. There's no ground game. But I think I feel like you got to give him at least a few touches. But the Bills are showing that, that they can go pass heavy and make it work because when Allen goes 31 to 38, you're going to win games no matter who you play. And, and this is no example as they're against one of the best teams in the Seattle Seahawks. And they... They kind of they they forced the Seahawks and Russell Wilson to, to just not play well. Wilson was probably the worst we've seen him this year. You know he got he got the yards, he got the touchdowns. So he was twenty eight of forty one with three hundred ninety yards and two touchdowns. That's pretty good. But he threw two picks and fumbled twice, and didn't get it back either time. So he he was the result of four turnovers. And that right there, folks, is the game. If you're going to turn the ball over four times, you're not going to win I mean, a, a National Football League game. So they, they forced him to make mistakes. He was sacked five times as well. Kudos to the Bills' defensive line. Um... But, but Wilson, they forced him. They, they, the Bills did everything right. They forced Wilson into a bad game. They completed passes. They scored touchdowns. They gained yards. They had quick-ish possessions. They played solid defense for the, for the, uh, for the most part. Um, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, 11 tackles. Jordan Poyer, 10 tackles. That's good. So overall, I like what I see from the Bills in this game. They were able to get out of their little rut. And we had talked about it in the past few weeks that the Bills, they were they were really struggling, you know, against the Jets, the Patriots, the Titans, teams like those. They were just they were not playing well after their first four games of the year. 
Josh Allen looked like Josh Allen of 2018. Run game was all right. Receivers weren't getting it as, as involved. Defense was hit and miss. But they were they were able to put it all back together and show what they can do when they do put it all together. Do I think they played a little bit out of their mind? Absolutely. I You're not going to see this Buffalo every single game. But it just shows the potential that they have. Buffalo is obviously a playoff team. The question is, how far will they make it? I've said this all along this year. I don't think the Bills... Are are going to win a playoff game. I think they're going to lose in the first round, whether that be in the divisional round or the wild card round. I have a hard time seeing them advance because they just don't do well in big games. Maybe they'll surprise me this year. Maybe they'll pick up a win. But, you know, with, with how competitive the AFC is, you know, Kansas City, Seattle, or um, the Steelers, Steelers are, are undefeated. I can't see the Bills winning a playoff game. But this is good momentum for them, a good start. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. Maybe they'll break their, their playoff drought and curse and, and, and try to forge their way back into the AFC Championship. But we'll see what happens. You know, we're a little more than halfway through the season now. Bills have seven games to go. They've got the Cardinals this week and then a bye week afterwards. They'll have, you know, fresh legs soon. So they're going to they're gonna win some more games. But, you know, I, I think that Buffalo will probably end... Maybe twelve and four or eleven and five, but that, that's my guess. Still got a few challenging games. They got the Steelers ahead. That could be a, a preview of a playoff matchup. But we will see what happens. So we're gonna go to a break once again, and when we come back, we're gonna start. We're gonna talk some Major League Baseball. Yankees and Mets next on WSBU The Buzz. 88.3 St. Bonaventure. You're listening to the Nathan Selman Show. We'll be right back with you. Practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Welcome back to The Buzz with Nathan Solomon. So, we, we're talking some NFL action for the first half an hour of the show. The next half an hour, we're going to be going a little bit all over the place. So, we're going to start with some Yankee action and some, some off-season housekeeping. So, free agency is open. Right now, not a lot has happened. I think the only significant deal to be signed is Robbie Ray. And to be honest, I couldn't even tell you where he went. I just remember seeing his name on Twitter a few days ago as him being the first significant player to sign a contract. So for some reason, a lot of the MLB free agency action doesn't usually happen until later in the winter as you're, you know, in the in the next year portion of the offseason. I don't really know why that happens, but that's just kind of what it's been of late. I don't really like it, and that'll obviously contrast the NBA, which we'll get into in a few min- in a few minutes. But obviously, the big story of the week—not that you know we didn't see it coming—but DJ LeMahieu he declined the qualifying offer. So basically, the Yankees can extend a qualifying offer to any of their players for eighteen point nine million dollars. 
for one year deal. Um, so he, he declined it and opted for free agency. He's going to test the water, see what's available. And obviously him declining that means either A, he doesn't want to be in New York anymore, which I don't think that's the case because he said countless times New York is where he wants to be. Or B, he wants more than $19 million a year, which is very possible. I think the Yankees should give him a blank check and say, hey, whatever you want, we'll do it. We want to keep you in the Bronx. Just, just tell us what you want. We'll give it to you. That's what I think the Yankees need to do because he is just far too valuable. He's an MVP candidate this year. I think he has a legitimate shot to win it. The reveal is tomorrow night. But this year on the season, in 195 at-bats, a 364 average, leads Major League Baseball. 10 home runs, 27 RBIs, 41 runs scored, uh, a 421 on base, a 590 slugging, all of that for a, uh, uh, over 1,000 OPS and a 177 OPS plus. That is an insane stat line. I understand it's only 195 at-bats, but that stat line is insane. That is nuts. I think that LeMahieu is going to win MVP. He is going against um, Jose Abreu and Jose Ramirez. Abreu is really his biggest competition for this. Abreu in 240 at-bats, 19 home runs, a 327 average, 60 RBIs, 43 runs scored. Uh, 370 on base, 617 slugging, a 987 OPS, and a 166 OPS+. plus. Most of those stats, besides like home runs and RBIs, will make you outperform some hen. Obviously, those are two big stats, but but it, it shows that but it's almost, in a way, redundant because his on base, his slugging, and his OPS is higher. Well, scratch that. Abreu's uh, slugging is just slightly higher. But the OPS is, is big is the, is more big picture here, and and Lemayhews is better. So I, I really think this is going to be Lemayhews. Obviously, the power is lacking a little bit, the run production lacking a little bit, but he is an extra base hit machine. He gets on base, he sets up some of these other guys. Because remember, Lemayhew, he's the leadoff hitter, and he gets some of these numbers. Last year, as the leadoff hitter, he had a hundred RBIs. That is unheard of. Normally, you know, when you think 100 RBIs, you think a guy batting three or third or fourth in the order, not your leadoff guy. That just shows to tell how good he is. So I think that hit that that the MVP right now is his to lose. The other guy in the picture besides Abreu and Lemayhu is Jose Ramirez. He had a great season himself, but it's just not quite enough to compete with the other two, in my opinion. 219 at-bats, 17 home runs, 292 average, 46 RBIs, 3 on base, 607 slugging, 993 OPS, and a 163 OPS+. plus. Again, another great stat line. But I think that both Abreu and LeMahieu are better than him. My prediction is it's going to go LeMahieu, Abreu, Ramirez, 1-2-3. Obviously, the only downside of LeMahieu winning the MVP is is the fact that his his asking price is going to go up. The higher he is, it's going to go up. Teams are going to want to spend more money on him, and he's going to want to ask for more money. That's the only downside. I obviously still think the Yankees need to get this man, but it is what it is. I Well, there's no, not really it is what it is. They need to get him, and they're going to be hurting if they don't. Um... 
So there's a lot of middle infield rumors going around, you know, swirling, I guess, with LeMahieu. And, you know, about maybe a utility guy to sign or what ifs if they can't get LeMahieu. There's also been talks about what if they re-sign LeMahieu and they trade for a guy named Francisco Lindor. And as you all know, Francisco Lindor might be the best shortstop in the league. In five seasons, he's a four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove Award winner, a two-time Silver Slugger winner, a Platinum Glove winner. And let's just look at this season, for example. Obviously not his greatest year in the world, but but, but, but still a, a, a reasonable year. You know, 236 at-bats, at uh, eight home runs, 258 average, um, 30 runs, 27 RBIs, and then advanced stats, uh, 335 on base, 415 slugging, 750 uh, OPS, and a 102 OPS plus. So, obviously his offense, his numbers were a little down this year, but we've seen what, what he can do. He He's also a leadoff hitter, so he, he plays a lot of games. He gets a lot of at-bats. In... in, in in 17, 18, and 20, so 2017, 2018, 2020, he led the league in plate appearances. And in 2018, he had 745 plate appearances. That is a lot of plate appearances. And he he, he stays healthy for the most part. He, he plays every game. This year, he literally played every single game. I think he's only had one IELTS in his whole career. And that was last year, and that was for a very short time. He'd be a great guy to have. And when you could, and what they would do if they got him, they would keep Urshela at third. They'd go Lindor at second. They would go Glaber back at second because he's a better defender at second. They'd go LeMahieu at first, and then they'd unfortunately have to probably get rid of Luke Voigt. I love Luke Voigt. I think he's a great hitter, obviously a subpar defender. Uh, acquiring Lindor vastly improves the team defense, but Voigt's also you know a, a great hitter and a great guy to have on the team. With Giancarlo Stan kind of switching from more of an outfield role to a DH role, it's pretty unlikely the Yankees would keep him in in a trade for Lindor. So if if they trade for Lindor, expect that maybe Voigt goes the other way in in, in a trade. Unfortunately, but getting Lindor would be massive for the team, and it would put them in. in obviously an even more contention to win the World Series. That would be the same as, as landing a guy like like Trevor Bauer. There's a lot of uncertainty about pitching next year, about who will be pitching. There's free agent rumors like Bauer, who just won the NL Cy Young Award today. His asking price just skyrocketed. But then there's like other veteran options, like a guy like Charlie Morton they could sign. And, or use a bunch of in-house guys. So there's so many different ways they could go. They could, you know, re-sign Paxton and Tanaka. It, it's just, it, it's hard to tell, like, you know, which way the Yankees could go because there's so many different ways that they could go. Another big question for next year, will Brett Gardner be a Yankee? Past couple years, we've kind of seen a little bit of a downfall. This year, only about 223 in 130 at-bats. So he had... He was he wasn't the everyday starter. He struggled. Last year was also kind of a struggle for him. Well, um, last two years he ended up batting two fifty one last year, but in twenty eighteen only two thirty six. 
And, you know, I refer to average a lot with him because he's more of an average, you know, a, a guy that hits more for average. Obviously, his power numbers has increased as the leagues have, over, you know, over his years. But he, he's a contact hitter. He's not going to have the highest OPS in the world or the, high, in the highest slugging in the world. He's going to get base hits. He's going to draw walks. And he's just not doing that as much anymore. He's got a great glove. He's won a gold glove. But his arm is his arm is is shot basically. So, uh, if they bring him back, it's going to be in a very limited role. He's certainly not going to be starting. I think Clint Frazier is a starting left fielder in the future. But obviously, if there's injuries like there usually are, Gardner would get more opportunities. So, if I were the Yankees, I wouldn't spend more than five or six million on him because the plan would obviously be for him to not play every single day. And the last little bit of Yankee news is that some of the affiliates are changing for next year or starting next year so the Trenton Thunder eliminated the Charleston River Dogs eliminated the Somerset Patriots will now be the double A affiliate of the Yankees over the Thunder um, the Tampa Tarpons they've dropped from a advanced to a full or a, a regular now because there's no short season affiliates anymore in Hudson Valley uh, a team that was in a short an a short season um, they're now going to be the high A affiliate for the Yankees. So with Somerset and Hudson Valley, they're each only an hour away from New York City. Um, another team that got dropped, unfortunately, was the Staten Island Yankees. So, so they, they dropped, dropped three organizations, unfortunately. But the, the goal was to move their affiliates closer to Yankee Stadium. Obviously, those two affiliates are only an hour away from the Bronx. Scranton, the Scranton Wilkes, very Rail Riders, they'll remain the AAA affiliate of the team. They're partially owned by the Yankees, so that's a lot of it. And their own, Scranton is just two hours away from New York. It's you know a very accessible drive. It's something that can be done in the day if players need to get called up or sent there. So obviously it's ex- exciting news to see new affiliates, see new teams come into the organization, but it's also sad to see some of these longtime teams, teams that you know fans of a lot of fans of really only new, go away and maybe not even have another minor league team again. So when we come back, we're going to talk about Steve Cohen and the Mets. Then we're going to get into some quick NBA housekeeping, the Masters, and NASCAR. We'll be back on WSBU The Buzz, St. Bonaventure. Welcome back to The Buzz. I am Nathan Solomon, your host of the 7 o'clock hour. We still got a lot we got to get to in only 16 minutes, so let's just get right back into it all. Steve Cohen and the Mets. Steve Cohen has bought the Mets. He had his introductory press conference this week, and he said all of the right things. The Mets appear to be going back into the right direction. He he said he's going to be engaged. He, well, he engages with the fans on Twitter. That's a great start. 
that's something that obviously you would see the Wilpons do, or really any organization do. He, he cares. He wants the fans to be engaged. He wants to hear fan input. He wants to win, and he's, he's not going to be afraid to spend money to do so. And so far, the, you know, it seems like players want to play for him. As soon as the message went out that Coden was going to buy the Mets, all of a sudden players had a lot more interest in wanting to, to, to play for the Mets. And it rubbed off today. Marcus Stroman accepted the qualifying offer from the Mets. So, so that's a big get for, for them. You know, a, a 376 career right pitcher, 14-7 war. Still got a lot of uh, a lot of time left. He's only 29. So that's a good start for the Mets. And I think that they're gonna make they're gonna make a splash this offseason. They could land a guy like Real Muto. They could land a guy like Trevor Bauer. And get miles better, instantly get thrown in the playoff in the playoff talk. But it's good for the Mets to see that the Wilpons no longer own the team because they just were not going in the right direction under their ownership. So that's my quick little blurb on the on Steve Cohen and the Mets. NBA though, they, so as we said, as we talked about last week, the players were going to vote on dates for the season. They did vote up for them, and it's going to be the seventy-two game season. It's going to be the long one, which, which as a fan, I like. I know guys like LeBron and the Lakers and some of the teams that, that you know, were the bubble for a long time might not necessarily be a fan of. But overall, everybody's pretty much happy with it. So the draft combine is, you know, going on right now. Virtually, for the most part. Uh, In-person interviews go up till the draft virtually. Well, not really virtually, but in basically, how about that? Virtually, you know, with Zoom, you can't really say virtually. Uh, yeah, okay, you know what I mean. Um, November 18th is going to be the NBA draft. That had been set for a while, but free agency is going to waste no time. November 20th, the start of free agency. And that's significant, too, because opening day is December 22nd. That's a month. That's only a month difference, and, and training camps begin December 1st. So, as soon as free agency opens, everybody's going to sign right away. And you usually see that anyway in the NBA, but there's even going to be there's going to be even more of a rush feeling this year knowing that shoot in a week and a half, we got to report to camp. So, overall I like it. I'm I'm excited to see some NBA action soon. Um in a lot of areas, there will be uh limited capacity fans in the stands. Which will be nice to nice to see uh, a little bit of a sense of normalcy. And speaking of COVID, how about Fitzer? They're saying in in April maybe the average American could have the vaccine by then. That's good news for sports and just general wellness and well-being. How about that? Um, past couple days in you know kind of switching gears a little bit in the NBA to some trade stuff. All of a sudden there's this rumor that Russell Westbrook to the Knicks. What? Rockets could be going to a little to a, to a bit of a rebuild. I, um, Harden and Westbrook are a little bit concerned about the direction of the team, and the Knicks could be a potential destination for Russell Westbrook. And I'm going to be honest here. I've never been a huge Russ guy, but the Knicks absolutely need to get this man. They need him to be on this team. He's he's only 31, actually. Well, he's 32 tomorrow, but. You know, another massive season for him. 
27 points per game, 8 rebounds per game, 7 assists. Shot it pretty well, 47%, only 26% from 3. But if the Knicks get, the, get Westbrook, they're going to need to surround him with shooters. Because if they don't have those shooters, it's not going to work. Because as we know, Westbrook is not good from 3. He can make the 3 when, when he needs to, or when, you know, at, at times... But, but he's not a guy that you can bank on on making it at, you know every single time he shoots. So they're going to need somebody like Joe Harris or a couple other decent shooters to, to surround him. And they could even get somebody on the draft. And in, in a mock draft, you know, they're talking about the Knicks. They could be um, a potential target at number nine or number eight where they are. could be Devin Vassell. And he, from, from Florida State, he's shown to be a great shooter. This year in college, you know, only 13 points per game, but five, you know, five rebounds, two assists, shoots at 49 from the floor and 42 from three. That gives you one of those shooters that you need. I mean, that's all they need, somebody that can shoot 42%. Get, get you know, a guy like Devin Vassell, get a Joe Harris. You've got two good shooters to surround a good point guard. If you can manage to hold on to Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, that's not a terrible core. That's definitely a start. And the Knicks, obviously, they're in the rebuilding phase. We'll see how you know how much James Dolan's going to want to spend. Obviously, he's a limited free agent class, but he needs to get he needs to make a splash. And there's rumors that he's going to make a splash. So, I I, I think that the Knicks aren't far from being competitive again, at least in the talk to make the playoffs. So hopefully a trade for Westbrook would allow them to do that, and I really hope that they do get Westbrook. So we're going to take one final break, and when we come back, we are going to, to, to do Masters and the NASCAR Championship. Be right back here on WSU The Buzz, St. Bonaventure. I'm your host, Nathan Solomon. Stay with us, folks. really creepy, Pops. Creepy? What are you talking about, Percy? It's not at all creepy. Seriously, I'm gonna draw on your face. <laughs> You're listening to 88.3 The Buzz. I'm gonna draw on your face. <laughs> Welcome back to The Buzz. Hosted by your man, the myth, the legend. Nathan Solomon. Hope you all are enjoying your day. So, we're going to talk some Masters here. The biggest tournament in golf is this weekend in November. What would you ever think that the Masters is in November? Only in 2020. And the best part of it is, in six months, we get another Masters. How about that? But all jokes aside, though, I am really excited for the Masters. All day, the next four days, golf, 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 golf. It's so exciting. It's gonna be so, it's gonna be cool to see Augusta with with all with all the fall foliage. It'll be definitely be a different look, an exciting look. Course looks like it's in phenomenal shape. It's gonna be some fantastic golf. Odds though, um, right now Bryson DeChambeau is the favorite, followed by John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, Dustin Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Xander Schauffele, Brooks Kepka, Patrick Cantlay. Tiger is like the 12th or 15th best favorite, highest highest favorite. 
But we'll see how he does. I'm... I don't know, because Tiger plays the best when he plays more often, and he hasn't played as much as he usually does, so he's having a hard time getting into that to that rhythm that he needs to, to be deep under par. He can, he can shoot even par just about every day if he really wanted to, but, you know, even par is not going to win the Masters. It's not going to win your sixth green jacket. So... I just hope Tiger comes out. He goes If he goes low on Thursday, he's going to have a great week because that's instantly going to build momentum. If he doesn't go low on Thursday, then I don't even know if he's going to make the cut, you know? It's one of those. And that's the same as Phil Mickelson. It, it, you know, if he goes low on Thursday, he's going to do really well. If he doesn't, he's not going to make the cut. So featured groups, uh, there, there's four featured groups. 733, John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau, Louis Usthusen. 755, your defending champion, Tiger Woods, Shane Lowry, and Andy Ogletree. Uh, and then two featured groups there on the other session. 1127, Bubba Watson, Matthew Wolf, Tommy Fleetwood, and following them at 1138, Francesco Molinari, Billy Horschel, and Cameron Smith. So those are some pretty good groups right there. Um, the coverage doesn't start to like one o'clock, unfortunately, like one to five on ESPN or something like that. But until then, you'll have to watch on ESPN Plus. It is what it is, unfortunately. But at least I have ESPN Plus, so I will be able to watch it when I'm not in class. So it it's going to be an exciting tournament. It's going to be a fun four days. Hopefully, I'm hoping Tiger will defend. I think the odds of that are pretty unlikely. But I'm going to go with Justin Thomas to win the Masters. He hasn't won a green jacket yet. He's obviously been one of the best golfers over the past four years. He His time's going to come to win the Masters this year. Bryson's also going to be up there, in my opinion. But, you know, Augusta isn't the longest course in the world. They don't have as, as many green reading books available to him. At, at Augusta National. So I, I just don't think he's going to have enough for what it takes to win. They call him the mad scientist for a reason. But I don't think this will be his year at Augusta. I think it eventually will be his time, maybe in the spring. But this fall, I don't, I don't see him winning. It'll be Justin Thomas, in my opinion, winning. Mark my words, I will be right next time I'm on the show. All right. Shifting to our final gear of the day, fourth gear, how about that? Haha, ha, you know, NASCAR joke. Okay. Um, Chase Elliott wins his first title, wins Phoenix, takes it all. Um, congrats to him. Well-deserved. He won the last two weeks of the season. You know, he wasn't even going to be in the, in, in the championship four if it wasn't for a win at Martinsville. But he got that win, got into the championship four, won at Phoenix, won the championship so it was you know it was it was the championship four running up front all day um brad keselowski finished second logano finished third denny hamlin finished fourth all in the championship four and three guys the three guys that were were expected to retiring and are retiring jimmy johnson clint boyer matt kendith finished fifth 14th and 25th respectively great run for jimmy johnson to end his career Congrats to really all of them on a great career. But obviously Jimmy Johnson, especially, like, what, 82 wins? That is that's pretty incredible. And 
in, in this era, I'm not sure if that win total can even get replicated again. So, final standings here. We'll, we'll go through, you know, the top 16. So, the guys that that made the playoff. Uh, as we said, Elliott, uh, Keselowski, Logano, Hamlin, one through four. Kevin Harvick, who just mer- narrowly missed the championship for it at Martinsville, finishes fifth. Bowman, sixth. Martin Truex Jr., seventh. Kyle Busch, eighth. Ryan Blaney, ninth. Kurt Busch, tenth. Austin Dillon, eleventh. Clint Boyer, twelfth. Matta Benedetto, 13th, William Byron, 14th, Eric Almirola, 15th, and Cole Custer, 16th, who Custer really struggled in, in the playoffs. Got in with that win at, at Kentucky and really didn't do much elsewhere. Then, I guess rounding up the top 20, Eric Jones, Jimmy Johnson, Tyler Reddick, Christopher Bell. Um. So... My thoughts overall were a good season. I didn't watch a whole lot before the COVID shutdown, but after I watched most, at least parts of most races, of all races actually. There's some races I would watch it to its entirety. And I think for the most part, you know, it was entertaining. Obviously, the plate races and the short tracks are the most entertaining. But, and, and the mile and a half program needs a lot of work. Um, they're testing that next week, actually. Kurt Busch and Martin Truex Jr., they're going to test the next-gen car on the Roval and the Charlotte Oval. So that's obviously in 2021, I think we're going to see, you know, some more stale mile-and-a-half racing. But I'm I'm hoping with the next-gen car in 2022, we're going to start to see, you know, better racing on all tracks. Um, but actually, really, where it's only lacking is the mile-and-a-half and, and two-mile tracks. So... You know, any of the Speedway Motorsports tracks, really, for obviously the exception of Sonoma, which is a road course, and Bristol, a uh, short track, and Michigan Auto Club. Those tracks just really lack good racing. They're fast. They're fast tracks. But, you know, after three, four, five laps, the field's already so spaced out. It's just it's hard to pass. It's hard to, to stay engaged as a viewer. So... Hopefully the next gen car will do that. Obviously it'll be a lot of the same in 2021. With you know things could change with horsepower and aerodynamics packages, but I don't anticipate a lot of changes in 2021. The schedule though that's going to be different in 2021. Adding a bunch of road courses. It's going to be like what six road courses. Um, Homestead the second week. Bristol on dirt. Like that's that's gonna be pretty exciting. Course of the America or Circuit of the Americas. That's one of the new road courses. Nashville Super Speedway will be back. I'm excited for that one. That'll take the place of one of the Dover races. Road America's turning into a Cup race, and an Xfinity race for that matter. Personal favorite Watkins Glen, August eighth, that weekend. Uh, not far from here, an hour and a half down the road. Indianapolis Road Course. And then obviously some exciting elimination races in the in the playoffs. The uh, Bristol, the Roval, and Martinsville once again all were phenomenal races, and and great cutoff races. So next year with the new tracks is going to be exciting. Uh, a lot of the races will have no practice, but not all of them. All the new tracks, um, Daytona, home or Phoenix, I think those are all going to be the ones with practice. But I'm excited for 2021. New tracks, new drivers. A lot of new stuff, despite the same old car. Whatever. 
If it wasn't for COVID, we'd get the new car next year. Instead, we'll get it in 2022. But something to look forward to in each of the next two seasons. So that's all for me today. Thank you all for tuning in for this hour here on WSVU The Buzz. St. Bonaventure from atop the Riley Center. Next week, we're going to delve into a college basketball preview before for my last live show of the semester. Thanks for tuning in, y'all, and have a good night. Nathan Solomon out. So criminal.